Hello and welcome to Music Forward Foundation's Industry Sessions, Conversation in Music. Music Forward is a part of the House of Blues and Live Nation family that inspires ambition and creates momentum to redefine what is possible for young people in the music industry. Check out musicforwardfoundation.org for more information and let's get into the show. So I want to start this conversation uh, in in the space of being back and new and fresh, I want to start the conversation with talking about like how you all got to where you are now. And knowing what I know about you all, you all have had very interesting journeys to get to the positions where you are. And so Fonz, coming from sort of the space of digital marketing uh, with sort of TV and film, what was that transition made over to Twitter? And, and talk to us how you got there and made that jump. Sure. Yeah. I'll try and keep it brief. Um, I actually made a couple of jumps. Uh, my first, uh, jobs were actually in, uh, music industry, working at labels. Uh, I was an artist producer and then worked in the marketing side for Sony and Def Jam back in the day. So there was a jump between music to TV, which is a huge <laughs> leap. and was honestly just a, a, a fortunate, um, kind of coincidence, uh, a TV show, uh, which is old as hell now I'm date myself, but, uh, it's um, it was called NCIS Los Angeles with LL Cool J back in the day was premiering and they didn't have CBS as uh, the whitest company you've ever heard of. And they had no nobody that knew how to tap into LL's audience. So I got uh, pulled into a consulting gig and that's how I kind of built uh, a rapport and got into the TV space. Um, and that also pulled me into social media, uh, which again, at the time, there's no rules, right? Like this is all new, it's being invented, it's all jazz. So just being able to bring the creativity I built as sort of a, a artist and, and coming from music, right? Where you have to make so much out of nothing, right? The budgets are the smallest, <laughs> the, the resources are the least. Um, so you have to be the most creative and build the strongest relationships. So that's what really helped me get to TV. And then um, you know, social media and tech is like the wild west. Like it's really whatever you can dream is what you can make happen. Um, and so I got into that. Um, most of my time uh, in TV was actually more in the social media and tech space. So the jump to Twitter, um, especially TV and Twitter go pretty well together, um, uh, was pretty natural. Uh, I've only been at Twitter a year, but, um, we've been working closely with them for about four or five years. So I had the relationships in place. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of really staying focused on the culture, the people, the same type of skills I learned in the music business um, continue to serve me today. Yes, thank you. Uh, Malcolm, you've been sort of doing marketing all your life. I know that you studied it at UMass and then went on to Emerson. So sort of when did you know that being in this marketing social media space was something that you wanted to make a career out of? It's funny because um, I probably, I don't know, I was uh, my first job at a college after UMass, I went to UMass Amherst from Boston, um, was an accounting job. I was an accountant for four years and I hated it, gave me anxiety before everybody was really talking about anxiety on a everyday basis. Um, but you know, I was trying to get into marketing without any internship experience in college. Um, and there weren't a lot of opportunities in Boston, definitely not for music. So I had to go back to, or I made the decision to go back to grad school to be able to, you know, not have to work full time. And then I can get some internships. I can find some part-time jobs within music to kind of like build my resume. So I did that while I was in grad school, did radio, did a whole bunch of work for a bunch of radio stations in Boston, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I really wanted to move to LA. So lucky for me, I actually didn't know anybody in the nation, but I applied online from Boston three interviews later, got the gig. And, you know, I think um, I got in and I really just learned, man. Um, 
uh, at Live Nation, you're given a lot. <laughs> and it's really, you make with it what you, what you want. And, you know, I was able to learn a lot about paid socials, learn a lot, learn a lot about organic. And then, you know, that's how I was always open for opportunities. So when an opportunity came to start working on What's the Watch, which is our emerging artist blog, basically featuring new artists from all genres, um, you know, creating content, whether it's articles, whether it's videos, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, once I got into that, I've just been you know doing all that since and you know learning and like um, Fawn said just building relationships you know working with artists managers teams from very different angles like artists that we've covered on the blog I ended up you know running ads for their tour like two years later based on a relationship and all these other kind of things so it's just that kind of you know just being open and being uh, ready to learn and apply. Yeah. Thank you. And Kim, same question from you. Like you, how, when did you know that you wanted to be in this social media space and, and even working in PR, how, how does social media affect the role that you, you play in marketing? Social media is a huge part of marketing and a huge part of what I do. I mean, from traditional to social to, to just all, all any form of media, I think is very crucial to my job. And what kind of got me into just media as a whole was uh, me just honing in on the fact that I like to write. And that's kind of the base of a lot of that stuff. Um, and I kind of just knew that I like to write. So I went into that. And, and also I like the idea of just building a brand or building an image or really making people see you how they want to see you. And social media obviously allows us to do that. We can filter and post what we choose and all, and all that. So that's kind of like what kind of got me there. But what where I started was through... I did a ton of internships. I used to live in New York. I went to Pace University um, and I interned everywhere. Believe it or not, a lot of, lot of record labels, a lot of PR agencies. I worked at MTV, at VH1, uh, a couple different departments in, in Viacom. Um, I kind of got around and then I came to LA and did the same thing, got around in LA. I'm in LA now. And I just, yeah, I just kind of just used the people, you know, used Hollywood to kind of get myself around. And I ended up working for a lot of celebrities um, and doing PR from entry level of PR to like now being the lead of, of things um, with like Chris Brown and like Drake and a lot of people, Cameron, like a lot of really, you know, kind of recognizable names. And um, yeah, I kind of just learned that those are the, a lot of those people, maybe not so much Cameron, but the others, a lot of them are very rooted in social and how they get messages out, Drake, particularly um, of how they get messaging out. So I, I, that's kind of what drifted me into it. But like you said, it's a, it's a very big, big um, chunk of my job and, and something that's very important to the success of, of my clients and the artists I work for. Yeah. One question that we're always getting simply as we talk to our participants about building their resume and entering sort of marketing as a career is like, how do they communicate that they know how to use and build uh, and work officially on these social media platforms? I feel like everyone is on social media. Uh, everyone is using it. And so just, just to put it on, it's sort of like putting Microsoft Word on your resume. It's like everyone sort of is, is using it now. So Fonz, how as a user of social media, how do I market myself letting companies know that like, I actually know how to do this as a career and you should hire me? Yeah. I mean, the answer is pretty, for us, it's pretty obvious. Um, you know, uh, like it's in your, it's in your Twitter hand, it's in your personal accounts, right? Like, especially if you're just coming in the game, you're coming out of school or you're trying to build it up. It's, you know, you got to have proof, you know? So Starting with your personal accounts is is big. I hate to say it, you know, I, you know, you don't want you don't want to think like your employers are looking at stuff. But we damn sure are. Everybody's watching, you know. Don't don't get it twisted. Um, so that's number one. 
Um, but the second I would say is also, I wouldn't undervalue like a specific project that you can point to in an interview, right? Like if you and your homies put together something on the side for like a friend or did like a side project that was just super well thought out and dope and the creative is beautiful and the voice is strong and all of that, that goes a long way too, because that's really what it is. And there's a big disconnect between just being good on social yourself versus being able to go to like a brand, for instance, and represent them in the space. That's a whole other skill set. Um, so if you are able to do one of those two things, you'll definitely like probably get an interview well. Um, but the second actually will speak more volumes because you can take something, especially if it's outside of your immediate interest, you know, um, and show that you can tell a story around it and build a community around it and speak authentically. That could go a long way. It's funny that you bring up sort of this having your personal account sort of ready for ready for review, as I would say, and like it's for any, anyone to really see it, because it's something that I'm always intrigued by is specifically with artists, there's always an artist sort of Instagram, and then there's like this professional or personal Instagram. And Malcolm, I want to ask you this question, because I feel like it's a lot of what I see uh, when I'm creeping on your Instagram, cause you know, we don't follow each other for specific reasons. <laughs> but, um, what, how do you, how do you make the decision to whether combine that profile or have them different? Um, I, and, and to, to clarify, you mean between, um, if you're, if you are an art, what, what, what do you mean in an artist world yeah. or like somebody trying to be a social media professional? Yeah. So both. So what if I'm an artist and trying to become a social media professional? How do I differentiate? Is that one profile? Oh, a separate one? Got it. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. That's a little, that's, uh, that's hard, right? I think that's a really tough one. I think it, for everyone, it depends, right? I think so. Um, I think it really comes down to your portfolio and what you're really, what kind what type of job you're actually going out for. I think an artist profile you have to give people, that's the touch point for people, right? I think, especially as an emerging artist, when people hear about you and they want to like look you up to um, get a get a sense of who you are, they're either going to go to YouTube to see you in a music video or they're going to go to your IG. And really, really, those are those two touch points that are like, you know, known that are like, all right, cool. You have to have who you are, what you represent, represented really, really accurately and at a high level on those two platforms, right? Um, First, um, as a social media professional, that's when, you know, you can have more, you know, um, that's kind of more of how you look at the world, right? Instagram matters as much. It's, it still matters, but I think Twitter is a little bit in the professional world too. So, you know, people that may be looking at your voice, whether it's somebody within culture or the community or even somebody at Twitter or somebody you're, you're um, at the company you're applying to can kind of see how you think and how you problem solve and how you like look at the world, right? And it is true. As long as you don't even got to like sugarcoat it no more, like, yo, everybody's looking at your social no matter what. You apply for a job, that recruiter is looking at your social media. That hiring manager is looking at you. That's it. Like, there's no, that's not a secret anymore. That's not, it's just what it is. It's this huge thing that it's like, yo, this is part of who you are, right? You can have your professional headshot on LinkedIn, but we're still going to go to IG and Twitter to see what else you're putting up there, right? To get the full picture, right? Um, so I, you know, I, I think as an artist, you definitely need to be on everything and based on where your audience is, right. Cause obviously that varies per platform, uh, is where you should invest most of your time. Um, but as a social media professional, um, I think you can use these platforms to brand yourself, right. To look, you know, if you want to apply for a job in TV and film, it doesn't, you know, it serves you to 
be vocal about stuff on TV and film, right? Not specifically how you feel about specific songs and albums and like, I hate this song, I love this song, I hated this movie, I love this movie. But if you loved the show, what are the reasons, right? Was it the plot development? Was it the sequencing of this? Was it cinematography? Like being able to speak to, like if you love songs, what is it about the song? Being able to speak to things and describe them in a way can really give people a feel of who you are. And I think as a branding play, that's how you should come off on social media. Yeah, thank you for that. That was so many, so much good information in all, in all of that. Very long. Yeah, <laughs> but very appreciate it. Uh, Ken, my question for you is around, because before we hopped, we went live, uh, we were talking about sort of the cohesiveness of the brand and sort of having the all-white background and sort of having, as owning your own social media profile, it wanting to look a certain way. What have you seen that has worked really well when looking at um, the platforms of the people you work with and then sort of what are the things that you see? This isn't really what anyone's looking for. Originality is what works. Like, that's what we all tap into. We'll see something and be like, oh, shit, or sorry, can I curse here? Is that, is that wrong? Like, I don't know. But you're just like, oh, shit, this is dope. Like, I love it. And you usually love it because it's something you've probably never seen. You're not going to go crazy over something you've seen 800 times, you know? So I think that that's one thing that I've told my clients because I, I have... I work with big names, but I also work with emerging names. And that, that's where I have those conversations. I'm like, be original, be yourself. Like, what, ask yourself, like, what makes you tap into certain people? Like, why? Like, like you know, Malcolm was saying, like, what, what really makes you kind of distinct? What makes you stand out? What makes you, what makes you original? And once you really, like, tap into that is when you can start really shaping it around who you are. I mean, there's so many music artists and people that we can look at that, you know, they're just... They're doing things that no one else is doing, or they started something that everyone else is doing. You know what I mean? Like there's always that. And I, I say that probably to everyone is like, tap into what makes you different from your peers. And and that's where you start. That's your foundation. And you go from there. Um, you know, like for one example I can give you is I have an artist, her name is Nevea. And I think the one thing I told her that was very cool about her is that she loves tattoos and she does all her own tats on herself, which is crazy to me but I'm just like that's so cool like you should start like talking about that because there's that whole tattoo world is very cool like you know what I mean there's just so many little things little idiosyncrasies that everybody has that makes you distinct from from everyone else and if you tap into that you just kind of snowball it from there and start again making yourself original on social making yourself just look very different from from the other people that you're going to get categorized with because you will and once you do that, you kind of you kind of start to you know just distinct yourself in your respective industry in your space. Yeah, it's it's always interesting because I think that's that's great advice where it's be original, be be different, sort of do your research and see what's out there. And then there's this other piece of advice where it's like you have to be speaking to someone, right? You have to know your you have to know your audience, right? And so this idea mm-hmm. of building followers on these different social media platforms, because I could have what I think is the coolest thing and be the original, and I've got two people listening on my followers. So where do but I build? You, oh, I'm sorry. You you also will learn who your audience is by being original. Yes, that's Ooh. one thing you'll really learn. Like you'll start being like. I didn't know I had fans in Sweden. Like you'll just start to like tap into that. Like, so just being yourself will show you who really like, you know, is is drawn to you. I think is, is something again, it's all rooted in just being who you are and seeing who likes you and and go from there. Yeah. And Fonz around the question of following, like what is your advice to, to build 
not only a, a large following, but also an authentic following, right? I think we're, I don't know if the phase of buying followers has passed or it's still a thing, but like, how do I build an authentic following that, that is engaging with me too? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the buying followers definitely hasn't passed. I think everybody knows that. But I think more, what's more fascinating now is there's the, I forget what the, if there's a proper term, but it's sort of like the follower gangs where everybody will crew up and then they go follow in sort of like a hive swarm mentality on, on certain accounts, you know, just to kind of artificially generate hype. Um, listen, I, I will never knock a hustle. So, you know, I will never knock a hustle, but I think the thing that if you're, if you're talking to people who do this for a living, right, we can tell right away what's, what's real and what isn't. And so I think the best thing that you want, if, whether you're an artist or a professional, um, is just to do the work and focus one-to-one, uh, get into the replies, get into the comments, talk to people, build these relationships. Um, it's a grind and it will be that way for like a year to three years. But after you sort of hit that threshold where you kind of get a tipping point where you have a community and the work you're putting out combined with what Dell's talking about, like you have something unique and something to say that's powerful and unapologetic. And I would emphasize be unapologetic. We are absolutely, I don't have to tell you all that. Like we are in that time right now where like trying to hold back is just not the thing. Um, you will have a community that not only will activate for you um, on one platform, but they'll follow you to the next because there's always going to be new platforms, new places to go. And that one to three years that you spent grinding, building your audience one to one, thanking people, you know, shouting them out, bigging them up um, will absolutely go um, go with you for the rest of your life and, and like compound from there. So that's that's my honest record. Um. It's interesting because I've I've seen artists who have gone into a space. I feel like one, everyone's rebranding now that we are in this pandemic, which I'm not mad at. Uh, but I've seen artists who have decided, hey, I'm going to rebrand. So I'm either going to delete everything off my Instagram or I'm going to archive it, right? And so Malcolm, my question for you, and I think Ken, you can also answer this too, is is what is your advice in that space? Is it, do you build off of what you already have? Is it okay to start fresh on the same platform? What, when someone's trying to rebrand, what, what's the advice you're giving them on these social platforms? There's no rules, right? <laughs> I think, um, you know, plenty of artists that major artists wipe their Instagram clean when it's time for a new rollout. Right. Um, and same thing for Twitter. Like, I think it's there's no rules. You can do it and it'll help. Or, it, you know, if people, if they just want you to focus on, if you look at artists or you look at um, rollouts and projects as chapters, it's like, okay, cool. We can start with a, or a book, however you want to, uh, whatever analogy fits, you know, you can start with a clean slate and then just have that messaging for people to focus. And that aesthetic, like the weekend has a new aesthetic every time. Right. So he always wipes his stuff clean and then, all right, here's what he looks like. He's going to be wearing his red suit with a broken nose. And every time you see him, right. Some people want to tell the story, right? but other people don't. Right. Some people you can you could you can be there to kind of see an artist's growth. I, I don't think it it matters, but I think, you know, it really just depends on how you want to. Um, there's no rules. It, either way, it works. It just depends on your audience. I, I agree. Um, I think he was spot on with it. I think that it kind of to piggyback off that, it's kind of just a, a battle of who you are versus who you want to be. Like it's it's you can 
you can wipe your whole your whole social media and all that stuff, but it's like, okay, do you a do you want to tell a story? If you want to tell a story, then you need to keep what's there and let people see the backstory. But if it's not, if you want to just paint a picture, then you have a select amount of content that you're showing people. Like you're like, I don't want people to see this other stuff. So it's kind of like that. It's up to you. They're like he said, there's no rules. Social media is a free for all. And that's the beauty of it. There's no you can do whatever you want on social according to their guidelines. You can do whatever you want on social. And um, that's kind of that. And I think I think, you know, it's just kind of what makes the most sense for you. One for where you're trying to go two and three for who's listening. You know, I mean, if you have a big following and they like this and you change it to this, you might lose that. Following. You know, there's things to consider when you make those decisions. So I think that it's kind of like, you know, weigh what is most beneficial to whatever your goal is. If that's again, a certain image, if that's telling a whole story, a journey, or if that's like just trying to get new followers, you know what I mean? It's just figuring out what your goal is and that's how you can determine what makes most sense for you to do what you're going to do on your social media platforms. Yeah. Thank you both for that. Um, I'm always intrigued by social media experts who sort of represent a larger brand. And so for, for, for all three of you, and Malcolm, I'll direct this question to you first is, how is it knowing that coming into this role, knowing that you want to represent the Live Nation brand? And what are those conversations when you sort of have a personal feeling <laughs> the way uh, this sounds like it's a premeditated question, but it's not. <laughs> um, what are the feelings like when you have a personal thought on the way a brand should go and then what the company is looking for? What does that conversation look like? You know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, <laughs> companies are businesses, right? And they're, and they're corporate, right? So, you know, when you have a corporation, there are a lot of stakeholders, right? So, you know, um, as Ken and as Vaughn spoke to earlier, you know, what you would do on your own personal social media doesn't always translate to what is good for a brand, right? Um, you can take elements of aesthetic and you, know, you can find out the brands that are doing it well, but, you know, that voice that you would use on your personal Twitter might not hit the same if you try to use it on a company like Live Nation's Twitter, right? So I think when approaching, you know, running social and representing a brand that's a global brand, you know, there's a lot of, like I said, stakeholders, um, including artists, including, you know, investment opportunities, especially in a time like now where, you know, uh, we've been hit very, very hard. Um, you know, you have to make sure that, you know, the, the core of your of your messaging on your platforms really gets to the nature of the business. Right. We are a live business. Right. And we want to we're fans. Um, we are fans at heart and we want everything, every touch point that we have with anyone that follows us on any of our channels to be like, hey, when you think of us, you want to think of this, either this amazing experience you had with your friends and family at a show recently or something that you're looking forward to in the future. Hopefully a nearer future than a further future. Um, or, you know, you just think that we're fans too. So we're giving you content that, you know, it, it just resonates. Like, oh man, they really get us. They really understand us. And I think as a brand, once you figure out who your, your followers and your fan base is, you know how to cater to them, right? That's, but that you get that from testing and learning and experimenting, right? And, you know, there's, I do believe in analytics, right? I'm not, I'm, I'm a creative, but I also know, there's numbers that back these things up, right? And you, I think as, in, as a social media professional going forward, you have to have an appreciation for aesthetics as much as, an appreci as, much as you appreciate analytics, because I think those 
can. And, um, you know, but it's also one of those things like you always have to be paying attention to what other brands are doing and what are they doing well within your specific industry and outside of it, right? Maybe there's something on that Adobe does really well, something that um, Juxtapose Magazine does to feature artists and like, oh, wow, this will look, this will actually look really cool for musicians. So, you know, creativity just is just literally an amalgamation of your inspiration. So I think, you know, taking your creative brain and adding that to social, but also taking the time, whether you have an analytics team or you personally dive into analytics, um, looking at both of those things uh, hand in hand and kind of coming up with, you know, a plan for it. But it really just happens from experimenting, learning your fan base and, and serving them. Yeah, I, it's interesting that you bring up analytics because it's definitely an def, uh, important part of this conversation that I don't think that everyone is always aware of that. So like, we're going to post and that, that's it. It's like, well, you have to see what's actually working, what's not working, and then be willing to pivot uh, when something isn't working. Bonds, I want to go deeper into the into analytics. What on, on in your role, what are you all tracking uh, that allows you to know that uh, your marketing strategy is, is, is successful? That's a great question. Um, you know, to be very frank, like, I think we're past the point where sort of vanity metrics on social, which we all know, uh, sometimes can't be trusted. You know, there was, there's been many phases of like different, different companies, like changing up their, their measurements and, you know, is it authentic? And I think we knew, you know, most of these platforms, like early days of TikTok, they were definitely like, tons of bots and Twitter has bots and, you know, Facebook a view is like, you just scrolling through and they'll count it, you know? Um, so I'll be honest, we take the hard analytics and we balance them with sentiment, right? We look really closely at what people are saying, like digging into on Twitter, it's replies on other platforms, it's comments. What are people saying? Are the, and who's saying what I think is particularly key because, um, part of, uh, to me, the most valuable part of analytics is understanding who your audience is. Like there are other human beings at the other end of the phone, you know, who are connecting ideally with what you're putting out there. So all that stuff should be a means to understanding who your community is, who your audience is. And then once there, you can put faces and identities to it, then it becomes much easier as a creative exercise because it's real, it's human, you can feel it on an emotional level. So I would say definitely we, you know, obviously on Twitter, you have likes, retweets, replies on other platforms, it's views and likes, whatever it might be, definitely you pay attention to those. But it's also what are people saying sometimes the, especially on Twitter, and that's like, I'm biased here, we have um, sometimes the things that get the most air are not the things you want to be associated with at all. Um, so sentiment's a big one for us. Uh, we're going to come back to that conversation on Twitter <laughs> because I think it's, it's, it, it is Twitter compared to Instagram compared to a lot of profiles. It, it's very, it's very different. Uh, I, I want to sort of continue this conversation in terms of analytics and Ken, is there anything specifically where you thought you were tracking something that was, was helpful, but you learned that, that it wasn't when, when moving forward? Um, yeah, I've definitely had those moments where like, we thought it was a great idea and it was not like, it was just like, this isn't really doing much for us, even though we think it's cool. And that's where it goes back to like what I kind of said. And then kind of what Fawn said too, like to really just tap into your audience and what they want and then who they are. Like when you really understand, it's like anything, whether, 
whether you being a music, you know, obviously this being a music platform or, or being a big brand, like a live nation or something like that, like a corporate brand, it's really just knowing like, what do the people that make you money, what do they want from you? And that's where you kind of take that, that note and shape it into what you want to deliver and kind of bridge the gap between the two. Now, if it doesn't make sense for you, then something's wrong here. But if it makes sense, then like you kind of bridge that gap. And I think that that's where like, you know, I learned that like, yeah, things might go wrong, but that's what social is. You know, you're going to experiment with everything you put up. Everything is a a shot in the dark. You know, it's never like, I know this is going to work. It might completely backfire. And that's just kind of what it is. You know, I've, I've being a publicist and dealing with PR, I've dealt with crisis. I worked for Chris Brown. Just keep that in mind. I know about a crisis and I know when something doesn't work and it's like, that didn't work. You should never have shared that or put it out, you know? So I think that you'll just learn again, it's really just paying attention to the comments and all that stuff and what people say to you. And then you kind of take that feedback and engage it to, to make your next move. If that makes sense. We're going to have to host a special industry session just for you to talk about the Chris Brown PR Look, don't get me in trouble. You're going to get me in trouble. You're going to get me in trouble. Sell tickets and everything. Um, I don't know. I'm curious about, so when when testing like, and correct me if I'm wrong, when testing like commercials or even just uh, campaigns in that way, like there's often um, a room where you can sort of share it to everyone, a focus group, right? Before it goes out to everyone, right? Is there a focus group when it comes to building social media campaigns and seeing what will work and what not? I know like in the personal space, you post it and you see if people like it. And if you don't, you might take it down. And, and then people are going to talk about that too. So Fonz, is there a social group that, I mean, a focus group that you all use before sort of putting things out to, to the grander population? That's a, that's a really good question too. Um, nothing super formal, right? Again, I think to, to Ken's point, you might have, you know, you could get a room full of 40 people um, and weigh in on every little decision and put it out there and it could totally go in a different direction. You know, that's kind of the, the excitement and the stress of, of the whole um, situation with social in general. Um, but I would say in terms of the checks and balances that I always try and, you know, um, incorporate before we put something out. So like concrete example, um, and this is, uh, a fresh fail that I will share with all of you that I'm very embarrassed about. Um, yes. We <laughs> we have uh, one of the handles my team manages is at Twitter, which is the official Twitter of Twitter. It has 60 million people following it. And so whatever we put out has can have pretty serious consequences, uh, you know, good and bad. It can create a negative storm of press that can create the most beautiful storm of, you know, all these different types of things can happen. So we have to check, you know, the temperature on the platform. We're looking at all the trends in the morning. We're looking at, you know, um, what our mentions are, you know, popping off like, and it's pretty intense when you just see like all those different things happening at, at one time. Um, and then at the same time, it's creative. You have to have the right content, the right tweet, the right tone. Um, so you have these two constantly, spinning axes that you need to nail to like sort of hit it. And we put out our last tweet. If you go on Twitter and see this uh, again, I'm very embarrassed. I apologize to everyone. Um, we, uh, we have been pushing out, we have a campaign that's launching in a couple of days that I can't fully talk about, but it's, you'll see. And we have been uh, tweeting about people uh, more like jokes of people wearing masks, right? Like, 
because it's been a huge conversation and it's just one of the most ridiculous things that it's like a political issue now. Um, and so Paul Rudd put out this video on First We Feast, which does hot ones yesterday, and it started trending all over Twitter. And he's like encouraging people to wear masks in this really funny way. And so we tweeted Paul Rudd. We had a joke that we had previously tweeted out. Everybody wants Twitter to add an edit button, but we never will because it fucked up the whole platform. So we put out, we'll give every, we'll give you an edit button when everyone wears a mask, right? That was an old tweet. And so we put out another tweet yesterday saying Paul Rudd must really want an edit button and just nobody fucking got it. Like it's the worst tweet ever. Uh... It's extremely <laughs> embarrassing. Nobody, it's still, and, and Paul Rudd is still trending. Like it's pissing me off that nobody's making the connection. It's just bad. And I just, I took this L and I just walked back home with it. Um, so, uh, you know, even with all the best checks and balances and all the science and tools, um, like Ken said, sometimes you just never know. And, and, and that's why, that's why it's exciting. And it's also why it's stressful as fuck, you know, can't lie. What this? I mean, this is a question for for all of you, but it is interesting. What happens when? You, <laughs> thanks for giving us this in, uh, this exclusive. <laughs> what happens when you put something out there and it just doesn't it doesn't work? It's not getting the reception that that you thought. Do you sort of pivot and try to continue to build off it? Do you just change directions completely? What sort of what do you do? I know Malcolm. I don't know if you've experienced this with your ones to watch artists, but like, what happens when it's just not working? Sometimes you got to tweet through it, man. Um, I, I think that um, it, <laughs> as long as it wasn't that bad, like I get it, right? Um, but I think, you know, it, uh, that's a tough one, DeMarco. I think um, it depends on what it is, right? It, it, it depends on if, like, if it's, a, if it's a joke that doesn't hit, it's fine. Like, you got to think about, for a lot of these viral tweets, right, that, that person that has that viral tweet probably has... 75 other tweets that week that did not go viral, but you're not, you didn't see that. Salt was the one that went viral. That's it, right? So it's one of those things where you just got to keep going if that's your thing, right? Um, if it's something crazy and offensive, that's a whole, whole different thing. But, you know, if it's you taking a shot, you got to appreciate a, a big swing. Sometimes, it, you know, it connects, sometimes it doesn't. Just keep swinging. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I piggyback off that. I mean, dealing with like PR crisis and things like that, you're going to do things that don't hit the mark. And it's just like, what I've learned is you can't, the best thing I was ever said to me was you can't unring the bell. Like once it happens, I don't care how much PR crisis erasing you try to do. It's not going to erase. It's going to still be there. People are still going to talk about it. So it's like, you know, what, fuck it, let it ride. Like, just let's see what happens. Like, and just let it go, you know? And that's kind of, kind of how that, that happens. And I think sometimes, I'm an advocate for, you know, all PR is good PR. I think that even even if it's a bad thing, again, unless it's an extreme level of bad, it fades off. It will fade off. People will forget about it in probably 72 hours. It will be done. There will be something new that we're talking about and we move on. So I think that that's kind of like, no, like that tweet, while it may suck for Twitter, it it's like you kind of, in a week, will we be talking about this really? Probably not. <laughs> You're probably going to move on, you know? So I think it's something that you just write out, but you learn from it and you learn like, okay, that didn't work. Let's not do it. Like we, like me and Fonz were saying, like, it's a hit or miss. Like you, you throw it out there. And if it, if it's a miss, it's like, damn. And then you just move on and try something else that will work, but you know, not to do that again. <laughs> like that's kind of where it, where it is. And I think that's how you kind of weigh, weigh it. Don't ever, 
Don't ever get too crazy on yourself if something goes wrong. It's just like, right. I, I learned my lesson and own it and own it like, okay, this wasn't cool. We get it and we move on. And that's kind of that. That's what I think with, with things that might, you know, go completely left. I got to say something whack um, real quick too. And I think, um, I think, you know, if, for example, right, you have to understand how small, let's you. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I know it's going to oh, be about to, He's about to drop something. <laughs> drop something. No, I, was, yeah. I was ready for the juiciness. I was like, he's about to drop a story. Let's yeah. go. Well, while we wait for him to come back, I have this question. I know since I asked it, he's going to come back talking. But <laughs> Kim, you were talking about how, um, how things... Are you back? Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead and finish your statement. No, no, no. But I, <laughs> now I'm, I can't live up to this hype now. Um... <laughs> What I was going to say was, you know, especially as a music industry professional, right? Um, say, you know, you want to work at a label one day, right? But in the past, right, in the past, like, six months, you've been openly um, criticizing one of their artists. Labels look at stuff like that, right? Like, these these companies, yes, where, like, if it was me, or if, not me, but say you're, you know, all you've been doing, and you've complained numerous times on Twitter about, Ticketmaster fees, but you apply for a job at Live Nation. Not saying that's definitely going to come out, but these are things you have to be mindful of when you're, you know, putting stuff out into the world, right? That there's a potential, obviously, you might not be a famous celebrity or a musician, so you might not have like 100,000 followers. But, you know, when people start doing research to kind of find out who they want to work with and who they want to bring into the company, because culture is a huge thing now, right? You have to take things like that into consideration when you're getting your opinions off, right? Do you really need to complain about that? Like, I think you have to think before you tweet all the time, but definitely when it comes to, and this is more of a political thing, I don't know how Ken and Fonz feel about this, but like, you have to really, really think about the stuff you put out there. Yes, it's your platform, it's your personal, and you can go private if you want, for sure. But it's one of those things that you just have to be mindful of the things you put out into the world because it, you don't know how it could come back, right? So just something to be mindful of if you're trying to, you know, you know, work in any kind of industry, really, in entertainment, because that stuff is very small and that stuff comes comes back for sure. A, a nugget worth waiting for, Malcolm. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to ask this question and then we can get off the heat that's coming at Twitter right now. But the, the, this idea that everything sort of lives forever, I, and Ken was talking about it, like people will get over it in 72 hours. And, but what we've seen specifically now in, with, with the social unrest and the pandemic is that like everything is living forever on Twitter. And people are, and we've got, I think people have professionally taken on the job of being Twitter detectives where they've gone back six and nine years. Like that is some scrolling you got to do. And I feel like we got to, we got to give them kudos for it. So what is the reaction uh, on as the brand of Twitter to sort of respond to all of that commotion that's happening? Because also Twitter has become a huge news outlet as well. So you are handling that too. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I think to answer your question, what is the, how does, how do we approach it as the brands and I mean, things like cancel culture and obviously all that type of stuff gets, I think, um, heavily associated with Twitter, but it, you know, it's all of social, right? Like, I think, you know, we've, we've seen this behavior for a while. It's Reddit, it's Facebook, it's all these places. Um, you know, I think the, the only thing I can speak to is me and my personal role and what, what we are here to do, right? Like, these companies, let's be honest, they were not built with all of this impact in mind. Like 
Twitter, if you read the origin stories, you know what I mean? Like was an accident. They offshoot it off some other company. It was actually a podcasting company and they built this, you know, status update website on the side. And then suddenly it's like, if, you know, facilitating, you know, global revolution, <laughs> you know, like within two or three years. So most of these, um, you know, the platforms themselves, they, there's no POV, right? Like it just is. But then you have this moment that we're in now where it's mature. Like these are companies that have billions of dollars in capital and tons of influences, brands, and what you say and what you do is very impactful. And so I think I will, you know, not to to our own horn because Twitter is not perfect. I would never, you know, go that far. But like we were the first to start coming out like labeling Trump's tweets, right? Like and saying like, this is misinformation. It's not the same as like deleting his account, which I know everybody wants, but it's like, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, taking an action that none of these other platforms were willing to do. And, you know, is that enough? Definitely debatable for sure. But I think absolutely the time is now for these. And I feel personally passionate that the brands have to understand their impact, right? And understand what they put out is consequential. And, and now you can't just necessarily be a third party, right? Like observer anymore. Like you really need to like say, okay, we have values and we stand for them and we need to take action to support them. So I think that's like the PR answer, right? I think on the flip side of it too, it's also like, you know, the cancel culture, like it's, you get good and bad stuff, right? Social has kind of employed or enabled the worst of humanity and the best of humanity to be expressed at scale in a way that's never happened before. Like everybody suddenly has a platform. It's, it's unprecedented. This is unlike anything in human history. So I think when we celebrate things like Black Lives Matter or Me Too or Stoneman Douglas or, you know, the love wins moment, you know, with gay marriage and all of that stuff, we have to balance that with, you know, there's a lot of toxic shit that can come from you know, the same tools that are provided. So it's really as good as the people who are using it, right? And I think that's where we all need to, I think, understand that, yeah, like these platforms are platforms and they have responsibility to express and reinforce their values. But it's also like, this is the new world that we're living in and we need to, you know, it's up to the, our generation and generations to come, you know, to, to, to adjust and to set up these new rules because, it's unprecedented. Nobody knows what the fuck is going on, least of all the companies, <laughs> you know, or how to deal with it, you know? Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that. I want, uh, as I see our time is coming to, to an end, but I want to take some questions from the audience. Um, one being, uh, do you feel that most of the lessons learned with social content are trial and error, or do you find certain tools help more when it comes to, to social and Ken, we'll start with you and then anyone else who wants to add on, feel free to do so. Um, I think the bulk is definitely trial and error. Like we said, it's kind of just throwing things out that you think might work and either will work or you're like, holy shit, I didn't know this was about to, everybody's going to receive it this way, you know? So um, I think that is, but I think there are tools for sure that can help you gauge that. Like really, I think even just, mainly I can speak to to Instagram as far as like just pre-seeing what you're going to put up and pose and really evaluating if this is something you should put out there. Like, I think it's really important. Um, for example, I just had a client, a client just asked me, should she make only fans? And if only you knew my response, I was just like, 
Do you understand? <laughs> like, do you understand what can happen if you do this? You know, yeah. what I mean? like, I'm going to give you the pros and cons of you using this platform that you think is going to be great for business, but it could completely backfire like it did with another another celebrity, Bella Thorne, like where she thought it was going to be amazing, but it backfired tremendously on you. And it's like, and that's where I'm just like, I know, I know to like really pre-evaluate what we're going to do, what we're going to put out, what our plan is, what the rollout is here for whatever platform it is, Twitter, IG, Facebook, whatever. And let's see if this really makes sense. You know what I mean? Like it might make sense off, off the cuff, but at, at once you really dig deeper, like actually, no, we shouldn't do this. Like we shouldn't do this at all. So I think that that's kind of, kind of how I weigh it. You know, um, if it's trial and error, again, it is always a long shot in the, shot in the dark, no matter what you do. But I think there are steps that you can take ahead of time to really evaluate at the best level if it's something that you should do or not. Listen, I feel like you just brought me so much joy, but also gave me the biggest heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I am sweating. Um, All right. So uh, my next question from the audience is going to be as follows. Um, One of the questions that are coming through are about connections. All of you all shared, like, how you were able to sort of either transition to Los Angeles or transition to this role by building connections. And so how did you do that, one? And then two, how do you recommend people are doing it now that we're sort of in this new digital virtual space? Uh, And Malcolm, we'll start with you because you talked about sort of interviewing in Boston and then getting a job in in L.A. Yeah, you know, I think um, when I went to grad school, I went to Emerson College and, you know, I started working at a really, at the time, it was uh, pretty, it was the number one college radio station in the country. Uh, I had like a really, really hit really, really um, great history in terms of like within the industry as like one of the college radio stations you had to go to. So I started interviewing artists at that point. Um, So when I eventually came to LA, I got the job, uh, you know, I would see people like publicists or like uh, product managers at labels. Like I'd see them like, oh, yo, what up? Like, oh no, can y'all still hear me? Did I, can y'all still hear me good? Good, yes? Okay. Um, It it said my connection was unstable. I didn't want to go through that again. but yeah, um, you know, start seeing people again. I think and I know this has helped me a lot, like, you know, popping up at events in L.A., popping up at events in New York. And like, you know, you see people that you would work with on a professional level and then you see them at events in a different city. And it's like, oh, wow. OK, he's hustling. He's out here moving around, trying to be on the scene. He, he's trying to do something. And it's like, OK, cool. Within this digital to fast forward within this digital space, I think, you know, you, you can still be active. Right. But I think people um are how do how do i say this a lot of people comment for clout not actually to be a part of a community right so i think twitter is an amazing place right you can find people talking about anything you can find i think twitter is an amazing place for thought leaders right people that have ideas and want to share that whether they're extremely toxic or they're like these amazing world-changing ideas and I think you have all these writers, writer, Twitter is owned by the writers in essence, right? It's like, yo, if you know how to, if you have understand language and you know how to communicate, Twitter is a perfect place for you, right? And your ideas out, you as a fan or somebody that's trying to learn more about something, it's okay to engage with people, right? And I think that's the thing about social media that's so crazy. It just makes the world so small, right? You can tweet at somebody you've admired for, you know, tens of decades, right? And they might see it and potentially respond. But I think, you know, Twitter um, is an amazing place to be a part of a community and kind of see how people think and like, 
expose yourself to a bunch of different ideas and, and you know, even going through a thread, whether it's or not, I mean, everything seems to be political these days, but you see these differences in opinions. Once you sort through like the crazy stuff, you're like, okay, I see you making a point here, I see you making a point here, whatever, right? I think Instagram as well is a place for community just in a different way, right? So I think you, you know, you have to try to, you know, connect, right? And don't be afraid to DM somebody, you know, that you don't, that doesn't follow you. It's okay, right? If they, they see it, they don't respond, whatever. It's, you know, you try, right? Comment, right? You don't have to be super thirsty about it, but um, try, right? If you're coming from an authentic place and you're really trying to form a connection, and really ask somebody in the industry a question or, you know, whatever that is, right? I think you have to try and, you know, not have ego about it, not be scared about it on the other end as well. Just really try to make a connection or, you know, show people that you're paying attention to things that they're saying and you're interested in what they're saying and that you also have an opinion on it or you agree with them because of this or you disagree with them because of that. Like just being a person on the internet is important. Like whoever you are, just be that person, be that curious self that, you know, that you are. Can I jump in? Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to piggyback on that. Yes, I completely support his humility, but I am the biggest troll on the planet. And like I, some of my best troll, some of my best trolling has brought me my best clients and my best opportunities. And, and on one hand, I mean, don't be ridiculous. Like don't be annoying, but like, I just know how to literally get my, my name constantly where they keep seeing me. And they're like, this girl is like always commenting, but like, I'm like, I'm, I'm commenting real stuff too. You know what I mean? I'm not just being annoying to be annoying. Like I'm saying real things. And I think that people want to hear that the same way, even for your own personal Instagram, like you, you typically, you're not going to respond to like the BS that a, ro- a robo account says or something dumb, you know what I mean? But if it's something real, a real question or whatever, you're going to tap into it because you're like, okay, they really care. You know what I mean? Like they're really asking and I'm a outside of, music. I'm a heavy sports person too. And I'm, I'm heavy with that with the athletes. And like, they respond to me more than I ever thought they would like, you know, and it's because they really care about sports and I actually like sports. So I think, I think to be a troll with control, is the best thing I can tell you is to be a troll with control, like don't be ridiculous. But I think to have the courage to say something puts you out there and helps, helps a lot. So I think it's something that you know, I don't, don't be scared to do. I think it's kind of taps back into the old school thing of cold calling is weird or cold calling is not like the thing to do. But honestly, we're in the digital age. Everything's going to be a cold call at this point, as far as meeting people. So I think to take the risk, the end of the day, the, the worst case scenario, they don't respond to you and you move on, you know, so take the shot. It might be something great that comes out of it for you. Yeah. But don't be overly thirsty. Like my right. I, I think that you should trademark troll with control. I think that is the greatest. One of the greatest, <laughs> should, of the greatest right? things. That was one of the greatest <laughs> things that I've heard in, in a very long time. Um, I, so I want to. Uh, we have we have to close out, and I like to close our sessions with talking more about sort of your your careers and the skills that you all use to be successful. You all have been in your roles for quite some time and I've worked to get there. And so Fawn, starting with you, being being someone who oversees so much at Twitter, what do you attribute to your success? What are the skills that you're using every day that allow you to sort of be that person? Wow, um, that's a question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's just like, you gotta, you gotta really trust, trust your gut, your identity, who you are. I think, I think Ken, what you were saying 
to me actually supports what Malcolm was saying. I, I, you know, I don't think there's a difference between, you know, the trolling versus like showing up, like that's you as a person in that moment, right? Like these are, it's authentic, right? And it's not um, disingenuous. And so I think the the number one thing that I can say, um, you know, and this will borrow from something Malcolm, you said earlier too, is it's a small, small game, right? All these industries that you think are so massive, music, movies, TV, sports, it's small. And, you know, karma is strict. I've I practiced Buddhism and that's been the main thing that's, you know, guided me throughout my, my journey. Like what you put out comes back, you know? So if you want positivity, you want breakthrough, original ideas, you want all those types of things, be that, put that out consistently. And don't be afraid if that like makes you feel different, right? Like if you're in a space where like you being you authentically just doesn't jive, that's okay. You will find your tribe. There are more people out there than you you even know that are probably on the same wavelength. And just, you know, continue to build on that and just, yeah, be very conscious of, of what you're putting out there because uh, that's the energy that's going to come back to you. And and I would just say it's amazing that if you can get into a positive rhythm, the, the, the effects compound, right? You have no idea, like for years, like one thing, one conversation for me, like changed my entire trajectory, you know, and I didn't even recognize it at the time. So I would just encourage you all to, to do that. Yeah. Ken, same question for you. Sort of what are the skill sets that allow you to be successful uh, in your role? Um, mine are very weird. So these are things that work for me. Remember people's dogs. People give a fuck about their dogs. Like when you just be like, oh, how's your dog? Like people really like tap into that for whatever reason. It has worked. I promise you, try it. It will work. And two, I just think the biggest thing though is really just knowing what for my job, knowing what people want from me. Like I deal with a lot of the press and a lot of that kind of realm, um, in addition to social, but like really just because they're kind of considered the press in a different space, but still just kind of knowing like, look, this is what we do. This is what we provide. This is what we talk about, whatever it may be. And really knowing how I can tap into that. They really respect that when you touch into what they care about. They're like, you send us stuff that doesn't make sense for us. You know, really just know, know who you're, whatever message it is you're trying to transcend, know who you're trying to transcend it to and how to get it there. And that's what what has been one of the biggest things is really me just tapping in. Okay, this is what I have to deliver. This is who I think is going to like it. This is who I need to help me get it where I need to get it. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And I think it's that's something really helpful. I know it sounds very very like broad, but it's it's something to really know if you're trying to get your your music or whatever it is you do on a platform. Look at what they put up, like even for Twitter or whatever. Like look at what they put there. And see how it works for you. Like Twitter for me, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Fonz, but it's just, it's very, a journalistic world. Um, I notice a lot of journalists are heavy on Twitter versus like a fashion person is heavier on the gram because that's visuals. You need fat. Like it's just figuring out like how, what this platform or whoever you're talking to likes and then transcending what you're trying to deliver and bridging the gap between the two. It's the best thing I can tell you. Yes. Malcolm. Same question. You're closing us out. You're closing us oh, out today. Man. What you got for us? Oh man, game seven. Um, <laughs> shout out to Celtics. We're playing right now, actually. So please watch. Um, 
you know, I, I th- man, I think, you know, as a person of color, right, I think we, in order to survive, we have to know how to read the room. <laughs> I think that's very important as you navigate your way through things, right? Being able to measure sentiment and kind of, you know, taking everything in your environment into account and how you want to do things, right? I think, man, you have to understand the moment and you also have to be open and flexible to it, right? Like I I can speak out of, you know, um, experience right now. Like this year, I had no, I had all these plans, right? Just got engaged. Like we, I was ready to do some DJing this summer, all these new things, right? But, you know, and expected to go to festivals, shows, all that kind of stuff, right? But, you know, since March, since the pandemic hit, changed twice, right? Um, you know, from just running paid for tours and then some wants to watch stuff, doing events to finding ways to help artists digitally, right? And, you know, dealing with, um, you know, all the live streams and all this stuff and that kind of fatigue that comes from like the virtual events, how are we making artists break through, right? And, you know, keeping your mind flexible and open to new ways to break through, right? You already understand the platforms to a degree. So it's really about more analytics and analyzing what people are doing, right? How are you going to stick out in this new world, right? I mean, the world's always changing, but this feels like very different, right? But I think two of the biggest skills is being able to read the room and kind of measure sentiment and what people want and how they're feeling. And then on the other side of that, being able to adapt to any kind of scenario and being ready to, okay, I need to make this change. I need to sometimes wrap my head around it. And okay, here we are. This is what we're doing. All right, let's do the best we can with this. Right. And that's just life in essence. But, you know, I think within industry stuff and trying to move your way through, you have to have those two skills to really see um, success. Beautifully said. Uh, thank you all so much for being here today. I feel like this has been a great way to kick off our fall programming. I very much have enjoyed this conversation. Uh, and to our audience members out there, uh, please feel free to connect via social and LinkedIn with our panelists and Music Forward. Thank you all and enjoy your week. Bye, everybody.